Each of the family members is very appreciative of your attendance here today. To give thanks with us for the life and the testimony of Mrs. Emily Ards. To express your sympathy to the family and assure them of your thoughts and prayers at this time. To her son Peter and his wife Nicola, daughter Valerie, granddaughters Angela and Victoria, great-grandchildren Lachlan, Theodore and Meredith, nephew Paul and his wife Linda, niece Sharon, nephews Colin and Brian, niece Tracy, nephews Paul and David, and Tracy's son Sebastian and Gab Gabrielle, all extended family and friends, today we assure you of our prayers and convey to you our sympathy. If you do have an order of service, please turn to that opening hymn. And if you don't happen to have one and there's a hymn book in front of you, uh, then you'll find it at number 598. So if you're using a hymn book, uh, 598, face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. And after we sing, my assistant here in Martyrs, Mr. Greg Gibson, who would have visited Emily, he will lead us in prayer and with Bible readings also. Let's stand, please, as we sing.
We'll unite together in prayer. We'll ask for the Lord's help. Let's pray. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, as we just even still ourselves this morning in thy holy presence, we do so in our Saviour's name. And we thank thee, Lord, that we can even approach thee in this fashion, not upon anything of ourselves or our own merits, but upon our Mediator and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank thee afresh this morning, Lord, even for thy finished work, for going the, to all the way to the cross of Calvary, and for shedding thy blood for the remission of sin. And Lord, we even just think of the occasion which finds us here this morning. Lord, a sad occasion for many connected with the family. Lord, as we come this morning to celebrate even the life of our dear sister Emily. Lord, sad for the family, and yet it is, of course, far better for our sister because she's now in the presence of the Lord. But we do pray for those today who would mourn. Those who have been left behind, Lord, we think particularly of her son Peter and the wife Nicola also. We think of the daughter Valerie, Lord, and for the granddaughters Angela and Victoria. We pray for those great-grandchildren Lachlan and Theodore and Meredith and even for the nephew Paul and his wife also Linda. Well, Lord, we pray for them all that you would just even comfort them at this time. That you will be on to them all that they need. That they might realise that underneath and round about are those everlasting arms of the Saviour. And we pray, Lord, even just in days that would pass and days that would go on, that even they might even prove the sufficiency of Christ in their lives. We do pray for this service of thanksgiving this morning. We pray for the one who would bring thy word. We pray, Lord, that he would come with that message from the Lord, even just message of comfort, message of challenge. Lord, we pray you'll take him up and use him, that he might know divine help to Enable him to declare thy word. And even at the graveside in a little while also, Lord, as our dear sister Emily is finally laid to rest, Lord, we pray just that all things will go according to thy plan and to thy purpose. And to that end, Lord, I pray that you would even just be glorified in all things today, that you will be uplifted, and that men, women, and children will be drawn unto the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray for those today, Lord, perhaps that are, don't have that personal relationship with the Saviour, that even through the witness and testimony and life of our dear sister Emily, that they might see Christ, that they might realize that they need Christ, Lord, in their life. And so, Lord, we pray you accept of our thanks even this morning so far, and you'll continue just to be with us. Give us help and lead us out with thee. For it's in Jesus' name we ask those things. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, I'm just going to read two portions today. If you don't, I'll read the verses to you. It's found in the first passage in Psalm 84. Psalm 84. And our second passage will be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we'll read Psalm 84. First, the entirety of the psalm is just 12 verses. God's word says in verse 1, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. 
Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. We're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 13 down to the end of the chapter, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And may God write even these words upon your heart as we've read the scriptures, and may he bless them even to you today at this sad occasion. We'll hand back to the Reverend Paul. Thank Greg for taking part already in the service. I have a tribute that I would like to read at this point. Uh, Elner Ards, and that's uh, obviously commonly known as Emily, was born on the 4th of March 1926 in Eber Street, uh, Donegal Road in Belfast, here to Tommy and Maud Stewart. She attended St. Simon's School with her siblings David, Tommy and Maisie. Betty Sands, who was her lifelong friend, recalls them back then playing shop after they came from school. Turned out to be a bit of a taster for Emily because she got a part-time job helping out in the local bakery shop. Emily left school at the age of 14 and from there she went to go and work in the Star Clothing Factory and that was along with Betty and that will become a recurring theme in the tribute because Betty seems to be by her side right through life. In her later teens, Emily was a keen ballroom dancer that led her to meet her husband, James, who she married in 1953. In 1956, they had a son, Peter, and that was followed by their daughter, Valerie, being born one year and nine months later. The mother is always remembered within the family for a soft smile. She told a story one time of hiding her dancing shoes from her much-loved father so that she could go out dancing later that day. Mum suspected that her dad knew exactly where she was going, and that's probably the case. 
After having had her children, Emily resumed work in 1961, now working for another clothing company, Jenkins, moved on to Moors, then the City Coat Company on Ravenhill Avenue. And here again, Emily and Betty sat side by side, uh, chatting, singing, sharing life experiences as they stitched their way through the day. In 1969, Emily's sister Maisie died. Maisie's son Paul, at the age of 11, came to live with his Aunt Emily. And also in that same year, 1969, and if I'm not mistaken, that's when the larger church out here was built and opened, Emily became a Christian, and for many years she worshipped at the Martyrs Memorial Free Presbyterian Church. She was well known for having a deep personal faith in Jesus Christ. She certainly read her Bible regularly, and I can vouch for that whenever I came to visit her anytime, be at home or in hospital. Uh, she would have been repeating along with me what I was reading and was evidently well-versed in the Scripture. She prayed for her family every single day. Here at the Martyrs, Emily made some very good friends, and especially, and she reminded me of this on a number of occasions, where she had the bread knife out, and the reason for that was whenever the clock struck 12 on Easter Sunday night, there was an army of ladies that swung into action here, because on the Monday, there were generally three services, beginning at half 11, then another one, mid-day, uh, mid-afternoon, about maybe 3 o'clock, 3.30, and then a final service at 7.30 in the evening, just to keep the marathon run going, and all the people who came there had to be fed. So that army of ladies springing into action, uh, they were getting all the sandwiches ready for the people coming later in the day that would then swap and trade whatever was in their box under their seat. Emily and her sister-in-law, May Ards, also enjoyed canvassing together for DUP elections. My understanding was they had a little car, not sure who was the driver, but they combed the country and went just about everywhere in that cause. For a time, Emily worked for the Whitfield College of the Bible, and that was up in Cypress Avenue, and then it moved from that location in 1982. Emily then worked for the RUC, but gave up that employment to look after her much-loved grandchildren, Angela and Victoria, uh, who she affectionately named Sweet Pea and Job Job. Uh, we can explore the reason for that later, I'm sure. Emily loved dressmaking. So Valerie and Angela and Victoria would each have benefited, in turn, from that talent. She made pretty and fashionable clothes for them, many other beautifully crafted garments, including Valerie's wedding dress and Angela's flower girl dress for Peter and Nikki's wedding, as well as dressmaking. Uh, Granny loved to bake, and she made sure that she had a fresh chocolate cake and cream sponge ready for Angela and Victoria when they came to stay over on a Friday night. I take it was only for you that they made it because nobody else is mentioned here. I don't think I ever came at the right time. Tracy, Emily's niece, shares my beautiful Auntie Emily was one of the most important people in my life. She made the outfits for all of my special occasions, the dress for my first communion and my wedding dress. 
In later years, she used her skill as a dressmaker, altering high fashion clothes, happily working with Sheila and Renee, who remained good friends after she retired. Peter remembers the day that when his mum was aged 82, she was driving her 240 Volvo to work, and at the end of the dual carriageway was hit by a 10-ton truck, spun the car around into the path of a 20-ton lorry, so it went from bad to worse. The policeman asked where she was going uh, when mum was making to move off the scene, and she said, I'm going to work. He clearly didn't believe it was going to be possible, and so we called for an ambulance that day. Emily was a healthy and active lady. But when, back in the day when she was 47 years of age, she became very seriously ill, wasn't expected to recover. A lot of prayer was offered for her at the church, and when Emily was taken back to the hospital, the doctor turned around and chastised the nurse for having brought him the wrong x-rays, as he thought, this can't be the same woman. Emily enjoyed managing her home. And she remained living at 14 Murrock Gardens until she reached the grand age of 97. Every Monday evening was a special time for Emily because that was when the chime came and the weekly visit came around for her granddaughter Victoria. And Emily really looked forward to that. Greeted her always with a great smile, so characteristic of her, and she would ask regularly, is Victoria coming today? During her high school years at Lisnashara, Angela went round each day to her grands for lunch and for a chat, and for Emily, that was a highlight of the day, and she treasured Angela's school reports and little notes as well. Emily, as you know, and the order of service, if you have one, gives ample testimony to that. She had a wonderful head of hair. And one of Nikki's happy memories was the opportunity to style it most mornings. Once Emily got that done and got the red beads round her neck, she was ready to face anything that day was going to throw up. Paul never failed to bring a laugh and a smile to her face. Linda and Auntie Eileen added much joy to her life with their chat and homemade cakes and favorite fancies. When Emily was unable to get out and about in the last few months, family friends Bill and Sharon met up for coffee with Andre and Grace and Roma, and they happily came around, spent significant time, and sat along with her. Yearly visits from niece Tracy were a real highlight for Emily. They chatted, they looked at photographs late into the night, caught up on all the news about Paul and David and how Sebastian and Gabriel were doing at school, how they were coping with piano lessons and in general their lives. Emily was blessed right down through the years with fantastic neighbours. Murdoch and Sterling is a community of good friends, and they looked out for one another. And the family today give great thanks for how much they helped out, especially in difficult times. A special thanks today to niece Tracy, nephews Paul and David, great nephews Sebastian and Gabriel, for making the trip from Birmingham so that they could be in attendance at this funeral service today. 
Apparently, Emily was nicknamed by some within the family, Emily Dot. Not exactly sure why that is, but um, there will be an explanation somewhere along the line, I would guess. Peter has also asked me to thank Paul and Linda McClellan for their invaluable help over the years, in particular their caring support when his mum was dying. Mum and Dad's best man, Jim Lilly, sends condolences all the way from Florida in the United States. Special thanks to Patricia Malone, her social worker, for her kind and professional help. For all the girls as well from Connected Health, and they showed incredible patience and kindness, and that allowed Emily to remain in her own home for so long. I think I must add there as well, all of um, Peter's technical skill uh, certainly helped there because I wish I'd be able to do that for my own mum. He had railings and assistance all around the house that helped Emily and certainly helped preventing her from falling within the home. There are also many people who enriched Emily's life with their kindness in so many ways and I am sure today that all of you who knew her will recall being greeted by a beautiful smile whenever you saw her. The family do really appreciate your prayers and thoughtfulness and would like to thank you and assure you that that made a tremendous difference. Finally, the family would like to thank everyone for coming and invite all of you after the service here is over to go upstairs uh, to the top of this building either by the stairs or by the lifts and there will be some light refreshments in the church hall after the conclusion of this service. One of the passages read today was Psalm 84. When the Queen of Sheba was finally able to tick off the top item on her bucket list, and that was to see the riches, survey the buildings, and study the wisdom of King Solomon for herself. Having done all of that, she breathlessly confessed, Behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame that I heard. Now that Bible passage that we've come to this morning in Psalm and the number 84, it paints a picture of the splendor of Solomon's temple here on earth, the place that the Queen of Sheba would have visited and would have stood in awe of. And at the same time, what we have in Psalm 84, it takes us and it points us forward in time, way beyond the days of Solomon, beyond her own time, to that wonderful house of worship that is God's holy temple in heaven. We are assured that Christ will bring each one of his children, he'll bring them home to heaven. It may be, as in the case of Emily here, after almost 100 years spent down on this earth. But it will happen sooner or later. And they, of course, in tandem with the Queen of Sheba, they'll stand virtually gasping and they'll cry out and they'll say, I read about this place in the Bible. I longed to be there. I tried my best to picture it. But the brilliant reality of it is so many times better than I could ever have imagined. Some things to note about this place to which we are assured Emily has gone. The loveliness, the loveliness of God's house. Well, how does the psalmist express that? In verse 1, he talks about how 
amiable, and that talks about something that's highly loved, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. And then in verse 4, blessed are how happy are they that dwell in thy house. So it's a place of love, a place of happiness, a place of praise, and instantly we see the contrast with many of the places that we visit here on earth. We love the place, O God, wherein thine honor dwells, the joy of thine abode, all earthly joy excels. But this earthly dwelling place in the days of King Solomon, this temple that he built, in spite of all of its magnificent grandeur and spectacular emotions that would have stirred in the hearts of people, it was only the very faintest picture of heaven itself. I like to think that everybody wants to know something about heaven, and everybody wants to go there. It's not true, of course, because recent polls, well, they do suggest that 80% of people believe there is a place called heaven. And in a day of rampant skepticism, and you'll know what I mean by that, I am rather encouraged to note that stat. Because it tells me there is something deep inside the human heart that cries out, there's got to be something more. Something more than the pain and the suffering and the trials of this life. Something more than maybe spending 70 or 80 or 90 plus years on this planet earth. Something more than merely being born and living for a while and dying and then being buried in the ground. And there certainly is something more, something far, far more than that. We should be fascinated by the subject of heaven. It's good to explore it. An old bishop of Liverpool, John Charles Ryle, he wrote, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. Well, what is heaven like? Some basic facts. Heaven is a place. Just as much a place as is Belfast, where we are, or London. The Apostle John said, I saw a new heaven, I saw the holy city. Jesus assured, I go to prepare a place for you. It is a place, it's a real place. The materials that are used in its building, the dimensions that are given regarding it, indicate we are talking about a real place. Only a real place has foundations. Only a real place has gates. Only a real place has walls that can be measured. So heaven is not just a condition or a state of fuzzy feeling. It is not nirvana. It is not some kind of a happy hunting ground as some have described it. It is not a cold expanse of mist and cloud where spirits kind of float around. It is a definite destination and a lovely location. Back in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 30 in the Bible, there's an interesting statement made by this man Solomon, the king, and he makes it in prayer. He prays, Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. And so by his definition and terms, if God exists, heaven exists, it is real. It's a large place. Jesus said in John 14 and 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. I know some have wanted to downgrade that and say, In my Father's house there are many rooms. But we'll keep it in the way that the Bible terms it. Many mansions. So we don't need to worry about overcrowding in heaven. 
Uh, some have worked out some of the dimensions that the Bible specifies, and they have said it is a huge place. Most of us will have heard the description the Bible gives of a place where streets are paved with gold, gates are made of pearl, walls made of precious jewels of varying colors, a wonderful spectrum and a myriad of gems. And those images, they, they tumble out of Revelation chapter 21, for example, that gives us the most detailed picture in all of the Bible that we are afforded. If you ask me, do I believe those things? Are they literally true? The answer is yes, but I must immediately qualify that and say heaven still won't be like anything that we can imagine this side of the grave. It will be much, much greater. At one of the last funerals I took, uh, we took as our Bible text 1 Corinthians 2 and the verse 9, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And so this loveliness about heaven, it outstrips our ability to hear or think or even imagine or dream. A work that was composed in Belfast, East Belfast, it concludes the Narnia Chronicles with these words, all their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. The loveliness of God's house. And then the psalmist here talks about the longing, the longing for God's house. Anybody that knew Emily will know that she loved to get to church. Church was so pivotal in her life. I must say I was surprised when this year she turned up for a couple of senior citizens fellowship meetings. And when she came, typically positively beaming and really enjoyed to be here. She knew what the psalmist meant in this 84th Psalm. In verse 2 and 3, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. Verse 10, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The father was tucking his eight-year-old daughter into bed, and he asked her what he esteemed to be a very serious question. What's the one thing, he asked her, you're looking forward to the most about heaven? And immediately that little girl's eyes lit up. And she said back to her father, I can't wait for big roller coasters with no cues. Evidently she had thought long and hard about the prospect. Well, clearly not. She said, I also want to slide down the rainbows and have picnics on the clouds. The father decided he would probe a little more. Do you want any pets, he asked, and she nodded emphatically, I want my own dinosaur. Well, I'm not sure her desires are going to be achieved or even remotely attainable. As Abraham, a Bible character, journeyed through this world, he's depicted as a traveler, and he's looking forward to a better day, a more splendid opportunity, and a more permanent eternal city as his final destination. 
In Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10, we're told, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so his aspiration always was, just get me home, because home is so much better than here. Each child of God is properly described in the Bible as he or she lives in this world, but longs for the world to come. Titus 2, the verse 12 and 13, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, but looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like the old Welsh preacher. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the moment a man realizes, and here's a point we all need to come to, the moment a man realizes that he is only a pilgrim in this world, that finally he has to die and to face God, and that there is all eternity before him, his whole outlook on life changes. I know Emily traveled with her friends to many destinations all over the country here in Northern Ireland. She's been released from short journeys, and she's gone much further than that today, and arrived in God's heavenly city. There's a hymn that we sometimes sing that goes, We speak of the land of the blessed, that country so bright and so fair, and oft are its glories confessed, but what must it be to be there? We speak of its pathways of gold, its walls decked with jewels so fair, its wonders and pleasures untold, but what must it be to be there? That hymn was written by a young bride. She'd married a member of parliament, Thomas Mills, MP, and she was reading a Bible commentary on Psalm 119. The author of the commentary, Charles Bridges, he quoted verse 44 where the words forever and ever appear. And he wrote, we speak of heaven, but oh, to be there. And that last verse captured Mill's imagination. And she wrote a hymn about it. And in the final verse of the hymn, Elizabeth Mills adds, and shortly... I also shall know and feel what it is to be there. And she was right, more correct than she realized, because a few weeks later, Elizabeth Mills died, only in her early 20s, 24 at most, and was taken to her heavenly home. Emily Ards now knows and feels with her full being, exactly what it is like to be there. For her, heaven is no longer a hope, no longer an aspiration, no longer a longing. She's arrived. She's there. She's home. The loveliness of God's house, the longing for God's house, and finally, the laying into God's house. How do we get to God's heaven? Well, the psalmist tells us, and he plots the path, and he flags up these facts. It is through pain, 
come through this life, we'll all experience pain. Verse 6, who passing through the valley of Baca, and Baca, the word means weeping. That's the valley we come through on the way to heaven, through pain. Then it's with power and passion in verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Though sorrows befall us and evil oppose, God leads his dear children along. Through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes. God leads his dear children along. The path to heaven is marked by prayer as well. And so in verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. So prayer stirs our spirits. It comforts our hearts. It gives us the energy and the endurance we need to keep going. We go that way by protection as well. In verse 9, behold, O God, our shield all around us. Not just watching over us, but working for us and defending us all along the way. We go with praise. In verse 11, for the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. In verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed or really happy is that man that trusteth in thee. But if I could, before I end, emphasize something about this journey from here, earth, to glory. It's how it starts as well as how it ends. It's due to pardon. Verse 11, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace, grace and glory. How do I, how do you ever get on to the path, the road that leads to heaven? By doing the best we can, by being wonderful neighbors, by donating to charity, by attending church, by doing something, anything, whatever we can do in order to earn it. And then God will tell us, well, you've been good enough to get in. No, there's a word in our English version here in Psalm 84 and 11 that is so vital and pivotal. And it's the word the Lord will give. Give grace and glory. And so we are talking about gifts here coming from God to us. We don't deserve it. Rather, we receive what we don't deserve, and that's grace. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not about our deeds, but about Christ's one deed on Calvary. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny, Twas that lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. How do I get to heaven? Well, I must get to the cross first. And in repentance, confessing my sin in faith, depending entirely on what Christ has done for me there, then and only then, then and only then, will I be ready for heaven. We sing a hymn which says, I must needs go home. By the way of the cross, there's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of those gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross 
leads home. Going to turn, please, to the second hymn on the order of service, and Emily did leave a little note behind, referencing the words of Job, Job 1 and 21, and noted as well that when it came her time to leave this world, and at the funeral service she would want these two hymns, the one that we have sung already, and the one we're about to sing now, she designated these are the hymns that she would want to have sung. And again, if you don't have an order of service, the number in hymn book there is 594. 594. When my life work has ended and I cross the swelling tide. Let's stand, please, as we sing.
Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the, the wonderful assurance that this hymn writer is expressing. I shall know him. Sounds like Job in the Bible who tells us, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And he expressed the confidence that I will see him for myself, and mine eyes shall behold him, and not another. And Lord, we pray that each one of us today will have that same confidence, will be able to express it, will know that Christ who has died for our salvation, shed his life blood for our ransom, and stands ready to receive all that will come and believe on his name. We thank thee for the day and the hour in which Emily Ards did exactly that. We pray that I will bless her family this day. May they know the goodness of God. May they know the warmth of thy love. May they know the strength of thy great affection. And may they feel in troubled days, lying ahead, days of heartbreak, days of burden, that I will go with them and carry them. We thank thee that Isaiah tells us in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and he carried them all the days of old and in days when this family need carried. We pray that thou wilt come and abundantly bless and carry them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can, make your way through the back doors here and then up the stairs and join, please, with the family, but allow the family to go out first. They will make their way upstairs for light refreshments. Then round about half twelve, we'll be coming back here and the coffin will be brought out of the church building and the procession will begin. Thank you.